This is the Getting Divorced Without Losing Your Mind podcast with Corey Shapiro. In divorce news, it's April. April 18th is filing day, so we're going to talk about taxes. And here are three things to consider. Disclaimer, not only do I not give legal advice on this podcast, I just give general legal information and more of a divorce strategist, divorce coach. This is not tax advice. This is just tax information and things I think you should consider. So if you are in one of these specific situations, definitely speak to your attorney or even better, you know, a CPA. That's who you really want to speak to, to really get the final answer. But here's some general things to consider. The first issue that comes up, and it's usually a fight, is deciding whether we're going to file jointly or separately if you're in a divorce. This is as if you're in a divorce action, you're not divorced yet. If you're divorced, one thing some people don't know is the date the IRS uses to control is December 31st. So if you get divorced at that time, then you could even file on your own. But okay, so you're, you're just in a divorce, you're not divorced yet, and what happens? Generally, my experience is if there is a benefit, a financial benefit, that might be an, a subject to a negotiation between the spouses. So you want to maybe just check what the difference would be if you file jointly versus filing separately. If it's not much of a difference and there's a lot of opposition, then obviously it's just not worth the fight. If it is worthwhile and there is opposition, you might have to, and what I've seen is is pay, (laughs) in a sense, the other person to file jointly with you to save money overall. That doesn't feel good for a lot of people, but sometimes it's better to think of this dollars and cents versus more emotionally and principally. All right, a warning, and this happens in some cases, if there's any, you know, underreporting issues, any cash concerns, which are, you know, difficult to prove, you may not want to file jointly. That might be a reason why you wouldn't want to file jointly, because if you do, it may be that you're endorsing the tax return, and that might be a, a hard position to take a different position in your divorce action. Another issue that comes up is deciding who claims the children tax credits. There's another big fight we have. I believe the general rule is the parent who has most time with the children, right, where the children are with them for most of the year, should get the child tax credit. But if you're in a divorce, and let's just say you're in the negotiation stage, okay, this is maybe before a judge gets involved, and maybe even with with attorneys or not. In my experience, that is another thing that people don't necessarily follow that general rule. They might alternate those child tax credits pending the divorce. And I've even bringed up this issue myself in court. And the court, for whatever reasons, maybe for equitable reasons, suggested just to alternate it. You could obviously, some judges may follow the rule. If you're post-divorce, that they could follow the rule. But in my experience, it seems like a lot of couples are just alternating, especially when the time is about the same. If there's one parent who has most of the time, then that might be a case to get the child tax credits. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about is the spousal support or maintenance might be in your state alimony. In the past, that was tax deductible on your federal income tax return that changed, Trump changed it. It's not tax deductible, as a lot of people who are in divorce know. But one thing to keep in mind, in your state, and you might want to check this, it may still be deductible on your state tax return. And that can be a significant savings. And what we're talking about here 
is you can literally reduce your income. You can literally reduce your income of the money you spent for the maintenance. And then the the person who receives maintenance is taxed. So it's tax deductible to the payor of the maintenance or the spousal support, and it would be taxable to the one who receives it. All right, so that's divorce news. So I hope your taxes battles resolve themselves. And just remember, just because it is a battle, there has to be some give and take there. All right, so let's move to the question. It comes from Jerry. He asks, how do you resolve custody outside of court when your spouse wants primary and you want equal, but no one will budge? Well, Jerry, this is the classic problem. That's a very significant issue. I mean, a lot of people go to war, even who do not have the resources necessarily to go to war over custody issues. It's so important to so many people. What's more important than your child? Uh, The problem is in a lot of states, time sharing, who gets more time with the child is linked to child support. And it really should be unlinked. And the way they unlink it in court, in a lot of states, they start off with resolving parenting issues. So they're not going to resolve the, the child support first. They resolve the parenting issues first. And then once that's resolved, then they go into the child support. The only problem with that is people take hard positions because they know if they get primary custody in a lot of states, they receive child support. And in some states, even if it's equal, equal parenting time, but the one parent makes a lot more, then they they might still get child support. So this is a, a big problem, Jerry. A couple of creative solutions to uncover the difference between a parent who really wants to have meaningful time with the child, thinks they can better meet the child's needs versus a parent who is just manipulating the system for financial gain. You really have to be careful here. But here's some creative solutions. You can start off with a child expert. You might be saying, how can I even get the other person to agree on a child expert? There seems to be such pressure from the court, in my experience, to use these creative solutions, you might need to get the court involved to put some leverage. But if you have a difficult case, the court might be open to these ideas and they really might urge it. And when it comes from the court, it carries a lot of weight because you don't want to seem to be oppositional. Okay, so if it's a child expert, you both hire, you both agree on this child expert and be careful because every child expert maybe has different philosophies. Maybe let's say this child expert is in the attachment theory, and I'm not an an expert in attachment theory, but maybe attachment theory believes, you know, that one parent, especially maybe with young children, should be the primary parent. So if that's something that you both agree on, that's fine. But if you don't both agree on attachment theory, then make sure this child expert has, you know, a different philosophies. So that's just one thing to think about. The other thing is you might want to use a mediator, someone who's versed in you know, in, in, in child development, but not necessarily. This person is more going to focus on logistical issues and communication issues, and that might be a way to cut through a lot of this. I have spoken to some really experienced, what I call master mediators, and they suggested if you're really having some tricky issues on custody, and you think the motivation for a parent seeking primary custody is financial because they want the child support, Maybe the answer is to try to resolve child support first. So you just resolve child support and then you resolve custody. The advantage there is maybe the parent who gets to receive child support is happy enough with that, that they will allow the other parent to be primary. 
Okay, so that parent would be a primary custodial parent. And even though in that state, maybe they would have to, they would get the option to receive child support, they might be paying child support. You might be saying, Corey, why would that person ever do that? The answer is, listen, divorce war is long. It's not necessarily good for most people, not necessarily good for the children. And if there's a number that can be comfortable with that the primary parent can pay, it may be worthwhile. It may be worthwhile. What I've seen some parents do is maybe you pay for certain what we call add-on expenses, like unreimbursed medical, maybe summer camp, maybe some extracurricular activities, maybe private school, maybe even more of a share of college, something that's not necessarily direct payment to the other spouse or your to your ex. That seems to have more traction with a lot of parents. All right. And if you're going to go to court and you tried these things and it didn't work, then you're really just in the system. And I hope you're stopping. But the first thing the court probably will do is appoint an attorney for the child, that they're old enough, see what the child's interests are, and that would be advocated. Also, the attorney for the child is really helpful in acting as a tiebreaker between two warring attorneys. And then the court can really throw around its weight by appointing these forensic experts, these evaluators or therapists, they're going to do this mental health evaluation of you. There's been a lot of commentary on the validity of these experts and the relationship between the experts' opinions and reality. Off the cuff, I think judges listen to these experts maybe 75% of the time. Not always. But if the expert is in one favor, is in, in, a, in um, I guess the, the, the theory is if the expert comes down for one parent and maybe the other parent will change their position and settle, which is obviously best for everyone. And if you are going to fight that, you think you got an adverse report, the general rule is 75%. The expert's probably right, but you might want to fight the fight. I don't, I don't know. And then if all those things don't work for you, you're going to have a hearing Cases do settle at the hearing. This is where the judge is most involved, but it's been a pretty bad battle. It's been years. It's been a lot of money, a lot of time, and there just may be, has to be a decision made. And I hope the judge makes a good decision in your case. But as you can see, Jerry, there's a lot of steps, a lot of things you can do creatively to try to prevent that from happening. And the most important thing, I think, is to see if you can separate to the best of your ability this idea of seeking primary custody for financial benefits. Well, that's really what I see to be the big issue. All right. So for announcements this week, we launched our first ebook, which is after our podcast, Getting Divorced Without Losing Your Mind. It's up on Amazon. It was an Amazon bestseller in divorce, I think top 10 in divorce and family law. So I appreciate all those people who have Got the book early this early that we just launched it this weekend, and I hope it is meaningful to you. Please, uh, if you can, set, you know, leave a review of the book if it was helpful for you. You can also send us feedback at feedback at gettingdivorced.org. You can also look at our uh, website. We have a website on Substack at gettingdivorced.org. We have uh, detailed show notes for the podcast, and we have other articles and information you can get to try to give more value to people who are going through difficult divorces. Let's move to my appreciation section. And a couple things are on my mind. You might have been fighting about spring break. A lot of times now we're in spring break. 
and that could be difficult if you haven't had a holiday schedule. So I, I hope you had those issues resolved and you're able to get away. And if the other parent's going away with the child, this is a great time to, to really invest in self-care. You know, I always tell my clients, this is like waves. Sometimes the waves are crashing on us and sometimes it's still. And when it's still, you have to invest in self-care. And I don't say, I'm, self-care is not going home and now that you don't have the children and just vegging on the couch with Netflix. That could be good for some part of the time, but I'm really talking about more high quality relaxation, something you do differently. If, if you don't have the budget, what I think is always wonderful is going on a hike in the mountains. That's something that speaks to you. It gets you out of your normal system. It's hard to think. So, you know, you're thinking, but it's a different type of thinking because you're moving around, you're exerting yourself. It's also becoming the change of weather. In most places, it's a great time to do that. And obviously, if you do have the budget to go away for a night or two, that could be great too. And if you did have these tax issues we talked about and you've been battling on these uh, who gets what, who gets what, I do hope that is resolved because you only have a week to do, to go. If you haven't resolved it, you can always follow an extension and just delay the inevitable or you know maybe even reach out to someone like a mediator or even the court and they might give you some guidance to try to make a decision. I always say this people, sometimes you just need a decider on these issues. I literally don't really fight even with opposing counsel anymore because I'm like, we're not going to convince each other. Let's just move into logistics mode. Logistics mode is that are we going to go to court? Are we going to go to an arbitrator? Who's the mediator? I don't want to hear that you think your case is better than my case. If you're going to talk that way, that's not productive because I'm just going to say the same thing to you. So we're not going to get along, but we could both agree on this, this arbitrator because they're respected. And let's see if the arbitrator can make a decision that's fair and reasonable and move people along. So I do think if you're in a very difficult divorce, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a decider. All right, we're going to wrap it up here today. Thank you all for listening. This is Corey Shapiro. Until next time.